to episode 14 of the Key Chargers. I am Neil, and with me tonight to talk about Key Forge and probably football at some point is Justin. Hello. This week, our uh, guest of the week is our, I think, newest member to the Key Chargers, Nick. Hey. How's it going, guys? Uh, Nick, uh, how did you uh, get interested in Key Forge? Maybe what's your background with card games? Give us, give us some history. Well, I actually, as far as games, I started playing when I was younger. I used to play Dungeons and Dragons way back in the day, like when it first came out. And um, from there, I I just played different games here and there. And then um, a while back, I uh, I'm in marketing, and a guy came to me and said he had a magic store and needed help marketing. And I'm like, oh, cool, like Abracadabra. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like Magic, the card game. Well, as a marketing guy, I always wanted to find out, you know, I'm like, well, I got to find out what this is. So I actually went in the uh, first game, first match I ever played was in a draft. It was actually pretty cool. Had a great time. Actually, first pack I opened had one of the most valuable planeswalkers going at that time in it. And uh, I was hooked, and that ended that. I stayed in it for quite a few years, played competitive, traveled around in a lot of the different tours and stuff like that. Then because of the, you know, magic problem of everybody net decking and the meta being pretty much identical. I really got bored with it and said it wasn't for me anymore and got completely out of it back in like 2011. Really hadn't done anything every now and then. I would go to a pre-release or something. And then about, oh, May of this year, I'm kind of semi-retired, so I drive Lyft. And uh, I picked up some guys and I took them to a comic book store here in Louisville. They said they were going to play a card game, and I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah. I said, oh, like magic? And they said, no. They said, it's called Key Forge. It's by the same guy. I'm like, really? They said, yeah, and they started telling me about it. I'm like, whoa. So I walked in, and uh, when I dropped them off and watched them play one game, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Well, they really liked me, so they're like, hey, are you going to be around tomorrow? We need to go. We're going to go play again. I'm like, yeah, sure. So. I ended up picking them up again, and when we got to the card shop, we were going to a different card shop. They're like, hey, come on in here. And they had bought me a starter set. Let's just say within 30 days, I probably had about 40 decks, and I was playing three times a week. <laughs> so I got the bug, and um, I fell in love with the game. And I, I, it's the discovery of it, you know, everything is just fantastic. And, you know, as you know, me and you met back, what, probably end of June, first part of July. And, you know, we play every time you come down to town. I've been hooked. And, I mean, I, I just, it's Key Forge all the way now. How many vault tours have you been to? I've actually only done one vault tour. Um, we had a prime here, but as you said last week, everybody knows, I ended up judging it and being the GO for it, which actually was a blast. I had a lot of fun. You know, you brought a lot of the key chargers down and, I got to meet some guys from Lexington, and I got to meet, you know, Eric and uh, from Team SAS, and, you know, the, the vault tour went really well, uh, and again, if I haven't publicly said it, I'll say it now, thanks for your help, because I try to understand all the rules, and I read through everything, but you were there, and you helped me out, as well as Travis here from our local group, and it really made a big difference, and made it easier for me being able to do that. But I, my favorite vault tour would have to be Indy, where I got to meet everybody and had a ball playing. And 
Well, picked the wrong deck, but I still ended up going three and two. Not quite enough to make day two, but played a lot of keyboard and had a wonderful time. And uh, got to see you guys play in the top 16. Well, did you have a favorite match from, um, from say, I know you went to the Prime with us last week. We'll talk about it later. Or or maybe a favorite match from the Vault Tour? You know, one of my favorite matches that I played, I actually lost. But it really made me love the game for what it is. And I played a guy at the Pearl where me and you always meet to play on Tuesday night. And I was dominating him the entire game. My, I actually had a battle line of about 18 creatures. I think I had every creature in my deck on the board. He, in his playing, he figured out that if he didn't play a creature, I was in trouble. He ended up holding me back with two miasmas so he could actually forge his third key and win the game. And it was against a guy named Mike. I don't know if you met him when he came there or not, but that right there just showed me how this game is a, a, a thinking man's game, and you've really got to look at it because I would have done things differently if I had realized sooner that he was going to lock me out by not playing any creatures. So do you have uh, maybe a favorite card or house with keyboards? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My favorite card is the new one, Stomp. I just think it's the cutest, coolest little card, and it makes a difference. Um as far as, I just, I, I say that's my favorite card. My favorite um, house used to be Mars. And just because I enjoyed playing it, it had a lot of different, you know, mechanics to it. And you really had to think about how you were playing it. But now it's, I've kind of moved on to Star Alliance. And I really enjoy Star Alliance with all the different, um, you know, out of house out, um, mechanics and all the different things you can do with a good Star Alliance deck. Um, and especially, you know, as I've been lucky enough, which I know some of you haven't, um, to get Star Alliance and Saurian in the same house. That, you know, it's just a blast. And if I was going to have a, a favorite card there in Star Alliance, it would probably be Medic Ingram. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of her. Yeah, we're going to talk about some other stuff. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, you say Mars, which is probably the most selfish of all the houses, and then Star Alliance, which is probably the opposite. So yep. it's uh, probably the most interactive with everybody else. So I know we're going to move on to uh, Justin's favorite segment. Let's talk about decks, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's talk a uh, deck of the week. We do have a, a deck submitted by a uh, listener um, of the podcast. Um, his name is Ross. He actually submitted this probably a month and a half ago. Um, since then, Ross has actually joined the Key Chargers. Um, he is from the Indy area. Uh, we've mentioned him, I think, before because he's uh, he's the one that had to unfortunately leave the the vault tour early with some issues at the house. I haven't seen him in a little bit, so uh, hopefully you're listening out there, Ross. Hope to see you soon. Uh, I know you're participating on the online stuff we do, but uh, hopefully we'll see you out at some of the uh, events around town. Let's talk about this guy. I'm gonna give my uh, go here. We will have a link. Uh, down below in the description under the podcast, but Mac Wheelagoid of South Peak Harbor. Uh, you're definitely going to want to uh, either type in of South Peak Harbor or click on the link. Because um, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce that. So. That's uh, a horrible first name. <laughs> that is... Uh, that's that's all the vowels. <laughs> I think 
Think we got them yeah. all, but why? Yeah. We'll count, we'll count Y as a consonant for this purpose. <laughs> that is the should have Should have just thrown it in at the end there. Yeah, that's a, that's a horrible one. Um, so what are we thinking on this one, guys? Uh, I'm looking at it, or when I looked at it, let me say, uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is all of the amber control. Double unguarded camp, you've got Screech Bomb, you've got Bumpsy, uh, you've got Crump, uh, you've got War Drummer uh, to bounce everything back if you want to. If you want to bounce Lomir. back, that Lomir. what's that? Lomir. Yeah, Lomir. Yeah, yeah. Lomir. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, and you've got War Drummer if you want to play Bumpsy and then bounce r- Bumpsy right back. Um, I mean, uh, which you know it's a, a net loss of two amber for for your opponent, and um, I mean it, it covers all of the bases. It's got artifact control with customs office and shadows. Um, it's got uh, Spirit's Way, which May not be the best uh, board clear because it does require the uh, creatures to have three power or higher, and so some of some of the smaller shadows creatures will get under that. Um, so I noticed it had two naughties and an urchin, so you know those get under spirits way. So you can do a good board clear with uh, spirits way and, and keep some of those smaller creatures on the board. Um, double nerve blast is nice for some steel in the shadows. Also relentless whispers, um, double champion Tabris. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, uh, is very, uh, interesting as far as the Amber control. Um, there's, uh, again, you know, double sequis, uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so there's a lot of Amber control in this and, um, I like that. I like Amber control. So that, that part of it really stuck out to me. Yeah, I I look at I I would guess to you know for this deck to win it's gonna have to control the board uh, for the most part and Spirit's Way is really I mean I I don't know if SAS counts as it as an anti synergy it doesn't look like it does to me it is because um, it's gonna hit everything on your side of the board except for three creatures um, you know and and maybe there are points you would want to do that. That's all you got left is Naughty and Urchin because maybe their board's even bigger and they've been taking you out. I guess you could use it for that. That seems pretty... It's a, it's a card that's going to be pretty often, I think, just discarded to the discard pile. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the Amber Control, the 18 Amber Control on uh, Sass is a huge number. Um, I think Smith's going to be pretty useful. Um, inspiration a couple of times, putting damage everywhere. Um, and then, you know, Cleansing Wave, obviously, great combo. I mean, that, that Brobnar is, is pretty close to uh, some ideal Brobnar from, uh, from, uh, Coda. I mean, it's not perfect. It's not combo-y, but, uh, it's, it's pretty close. There's a lot of really good stuff in that Brobnar, um, for what, uh, Coda brings to the table. And the weird thing is, for a Coda deck, you know, you don't have Doorstep, you don't have Burn the Stockpile. Nor do you have either Relentless or Bait and Switch, but yet you still have all that Amber Control. So a lot of creature-oriented stuff in this deck. Yeah, and I think if I could take out like one of those unguarded camps and put in a Burn the Stockpile, I think that kind of makes that the most, uh, or for me, would be a very ideal Brobnar setup. Um, Auto Cannon is kind of weird in this too, uh, although a lot of the uh sanctum creatures get around it and then uh if you have 
Grey Monk out, then you're protecting some of the smaller guys from getting auto cannoned. But um, but yeah, it's I would like to see a burn the stockpile in there, and that would kind of take it up the the next notch for me. Uh, and and to your point, yeah, the Spirit's Way definitely should show as an anti synergy. Um, and and probably is like a desperation if you need to clear, uh, or like say your opponent clears your board and then they put out a bunch of big creatures and then you could just use that to clear their board. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it seems very situational. Well, see, I think with auto cannon in there down the road using cleansing wave, you could seriously you know gain a lot of amber from that one combination, but a really hard one to pull off. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and Grey Monk's actually working against you in that case a little bit as well. So mm-hmm. there's there's some things that they're not counting as anti-synergy, but are borderline, either are or pretty close to it. So Right. Yeah, I'd like to know, I mean, it's he, he's got it's got a record of four and two, so it's, it's one more than it's lost. I, I'm curious how often that autocannon uh, cleansing wave that Nick mentioned actually happens for the deck. Yeah. It is a, it's a two-card combo with two cards out of out of houses. Yeah. <laughs> Ganger's in there, but you don't have the drummer to go with it. And I don't know. There's really... There's not much... There's a lot of creatures, 18 creatures. But like you said, all that amber control is great. A lot of capture. But I just don't know. There's no way to protect your amber. There's really... I mean, Customs Office for Artifact Control... I've never really seen it work. So if they get the right artifact out, you you have no way to deal with them. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to jump right into our main topic or topics for the night. We're going to talk about a couple of things. One, we'll talk about some of the important things from the Crucible cast that that was uh, released last Saturday. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I think we'll just leap right into it, right, is world championships. We finally know where. We finally know when. And people are mad. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think that's the easiest way to put it. Uh, I, I thought it was a little strange. But if, in case you don't know, we're, uh, world championships for key forwards will be in St. Paul. May 7th, 8th, and 9th, which is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which everybody, if you check your calendars in the United States, uh, May 10th is uh, is Mother's Day. My wife didn't seem to mind that much, but probably because our kids are older and out of the house, and uh, and uh, they're usually busy anyway, so uh, they're young adults, and one of them will be with me. Um, so... Uh, so you know, there's uh, there is that. I think she said something about going and seeing her own mom. So, what did you guys think about this one? Well, I'm kind of in the same situation you are. I, you know, my mother, God rest her soul, passed away back in 2009, and my daughter's not a mother yet, and I'm not married, so it didn't really matter to me. Um, although I do, I would understand. There's a lot of people quite upset about it. Up, they're trying to do it where, hey, you know, you can come play keyboard, bring your wife and your your mother and celebrate Mother's Day up here. And, and I know they're trying to kill it and finish it on Saturday midday, but we all know travel time is something else. Yeah, if you, if you are there for that Saturday and you, you know, you make it all the way to, to, to the end or your team, 
right? It's not even individual. It's your, it's your team makes it makes it to the final day. Uh, like Nick said, you know, if they want to wrap it up by midday, but then even still, if you're trying to plan to get out of there before Mother's Day, then you're going to have to leave on Saturday night and planning a, a flight around that, meaning that you're probably not going to get home until very early in the morning on Sunday. Is I, I, I can understand the the frustration of that. I mean, for me personally, I build this. I've been wanting to go to Minneapolis and St. Paul uh, for many, many years. My my favorite baseball team is the Twins, and they will be in town that weekend. And so for me, it just kind of worked out where I said, "Hey, wife, um, guess what? We we can go to Minnesota and we can see a Twins game and do the Walt tour." Uh, although she didn't care about that last part, you know, for, for me, it, it just kind of works out. So I, I don't, I'm not upset about it. Um, and I don't know that my wife would be, uh, upset about it if I were to get back on Sunday night. Um, it, we would probably just celebrate, you know, Mother's Day on Monday or something, but, um, I, I can, I can understand where there would be a lot of heartburn for some people in this. I get it. You know, I mean, from here, I mean, it's uh, it's a drive. I don't know. I think it's eight to nine hour drive from here. So, um, you know, we're we're going. I mean, I know I already started looking the last couple of nights at uh, Airbnbs and stuff in the in that area. Um, it looks like you know at least so far we're gonna be able to get something. We gotta make some decisions and start making some calls as a team. But uh, you know that stuff we'll decide over the next month or so. But. Um, probably get past the holiday first and start figuring out who the heck's going and how many, but and, uh, probably have to be multiple. I don't, I don't know if we can rent a mansion out um, from the number of people we may have going from the key chargers, but it could be quite a few. So, you know, we may have to, there may have to be a couple of different groups of us. That covers worlds. We will uh, jump in now. We also had um, some, some FAQ questions answered about different rulings that you guys uh come up with any that seemed like a surprise or very interesting or I think the I think we can we or there had been discussion within the team about uh collector worm and now we finally have a ruling on what happens when collector worm destroys a creature and uh, I guess for some maybe it was a surprise others maybe not so much um and but I, I mean, at least we have a ruling, and I think we just we just talked about this that you know doesn't really impact me a whole lot. I just think it's nice that we actually have a ruling on it now, so that we don't we can we can finally put that one to bed. Um, but we still don't have we still don't have uh, the 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 question answered on your your biggest question, Neil, and your heartburn at the moment of. What happens with Pose Pixies and our our Sanctum buddy? Sir Marrows. Yeah. Sir Marrows, there you go. I just yeah, I mean I just would like a definite answer. Does that create an extra amber like everybody is playing it or not? Um if I have Pose Pixies and I reap or another creature um I control reaps, you know, what does Sir Marrows actually do with, with, with Amber? I mean, we've played it as, you know, that the, the amber goes to the pool. Sir Merrill says, well, I want it instead. And but Pope Pixie says, no, you got to take the one you want from the common supply. So we always end up generating an extra amber, which feels really weird because there's no other way that I know of to do that in the game. Um, so it'd be interesting to uh, 
to get an answer to that. I guess maybe if I actually send it in as a request, maybe they would answer it at some point. But um, uh, I've never really sent it in, so I figured everybody else was. Um, but so maybe I should start doing that. Maybe we'll get an answer. So question about uh, what's Harbinger of Doom? So that I've been waiting on. What's your question on Harbinger? Well, the Harbinger that if you have two of them out and they sacrifice both at the same time, the creatures on the other side that are warded, how do they die? Do they die? Do they lose the ward and die to the second Harbinger? Because if you look at warding, the exact definition is it just removes the ward; it doesn't mark it for destruction. So when do the Harbingers die at the same time? Do they die once and then the second one comes back and kills everything else? Or how should it be done? It seems like you'd walk through that with Harbinger. First one, you know, whoever the active player is chooses the destroyed trigger in order and the first Harbinger triggers um, because his destroyed effect's hanging out there waiting and he removes the wards. And when he's done, the second one then... His destroyed effect, which is sitting there waiting as well, goes off and he kills everything. And I think that's how I would play it, too. That is how I would play it, but the the, the argument is, is that the Harbingers are both marked for destruction. How does it come out of being marked for destruction and reach back out and grab creatures that are still on the battle line? Well, because Mark for Destruction doesn't mean they've actually left the battle line, though, because they're waiting for the triggers to go. Correct. And I agree with you. Yeah, okay. The match, the match actually had a way, because they sacrificed them to, um, is it Obsidian? Yeah, it's Obsidian Forge. Obsidian Forge, yeah. So instead of sacrificing both of them to Obsidian Forge, he basically sacrificed one and then when it went off it killed everything else and so and then it draw it that actually the how do I want to say it the timing chart that we should have dealing with that actually works better because then the first harbinger dies when you sacrifice it because the guy wasn't using them to control to use them for obsidian forge he was using them to try to get control of the board because the other players board had ran out had you know ran out of control on it. So he played both Harbingers, and then the next turn, he only had two creatures out, two Harbingers. He sacrifices one Harbinger to the Obsidian Forge, it dies, and then everything else follows suit. Because when the first one dies, it kills everything else, and it gets rid of the wars, but when the second one dies, it comes back out, everything else is there, so it all dies. I, which is the same timing, to be honest, but the way the wording is, people argue the wording of it. Because I mean, just I would just I I save a copy of the timing chart on my phone. So I just, <laughs> take a snapshot, and I would just lay it on the table and go, "Let's just follow it." Yep. I think they use to answer it. So. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's a good little discussion. Um. Also, you know, I think one of the cool things coming out of Crucible Cast was, you know, the organized play information. You know, they were showing all the different sleeves for for Worlds and for Primes next year and store championships. And, I mean, it it seems pretty obvious that it looks, I mean, because you would assume that these are basically coming out of set four um, is what it seems like. Um, because I think the Sanctum creature that was on one of the sleeves, what looked to be a Sanctum creature, definitely was not a creature we had seen yet. 
and they look like logos. They kind of emphasize the word ultra. I'm thinking that that's going to be maybe logos. He kept saying, you know, the logos is ultra cool, ultra, you know, bright or whatever he kept saying. He kept, yeah, I, think I think they're trying to throw in the fact that ultra is going to be some kind of word. I'm thinking it's going to be kind of like mega. Um, that maybe there's logos creatures that can be ultra something. That that's just my guess. But I mean, obviously, it could also be a keyword. What do you guys think? I think that that's a pretty good guess. I, that's I, when when they when he was talking about it, that was kind of what first came to my mind too. Was we're going to get these ultra creatures to act like mega creatures, and with with the with the coming of Sanctum, and and I'm pretty sure. I think if I remember correctly, they said that you know we haven't shown or the artwork was creatures that you know have not existed to this point. So I think it's pretty safe to say that they're set for. I'm assuming at this point that Brobnar is probably not going to be in the next set, and they'll probably substitute that with with Sanctum. I, I for me, I just I really am like okay, so we know fairly confidently we can say Logos and Sanctum are going to be in the next set. You know, what other houses are going to be part of that? And now that we have, we know that there's going to be a rotation of houses, what's going to rotate out, if anything? Well, I, I guess maybe at this point we know that Sanctums should be, or they alluded to the fact that it's going to rotate back in. That means that a house is going to have to rotate out. And um, I'm interested to see what house rotates out for Sanctum. My guess would be Brobnar, because they can compete on the same level of power and armor and stuff like that. Um, and so now we have Sanctum and Saurian. Assuming Saurian doesn't rotate out, I would be hard-pressed to think they would rotate it out after one set. Now we've got two sets of houses that are probably going to have Exalt. I don't know, or unless they do something totally different in Sanctum, I, could, I just feel like Saurian Exalt was a better mechanic for uh, for Sanctum. It, it just came a little bit later than, than when they had it in. So anyway, I'm curious to see what houses they rotate in and out for this next set. I think, I think you've got to take into the fact that we also have, you know, a leak going on as to what it looks to be the name of the next set of Mass Mutation. And you see that they, if that's the name of the next set is Mass Mutation, you would think Untamed stays in no matter what. Um, that seems to fit pretty well if things are mutating um, with the beasts and everything. I mean, it seems like Discs with Demons could definitely be included. You know, I, I think there's going to be two changes. I don't know if there's a new house. Maybe there's a new house and Sanctum. Or maybe it's Sanctum... And that's it. I, I don't know. But I mean, Brobnar seems like a good choice, mostly because I think we're all a little frustrated with what Brobnar's doing right now. <laughs> compared to, you know, it, it, it kind of um, had its its moments in Coda. Uh, there were definitely decks, and still are decks, that, that work really well with it. And then it, it, it got a little bit of a bump on some level. Um, it kept in its key cards like Burn the Stockpile in, in the AOA, and then it just took this step you know, to me, a little backwards that there's just, you know, these weird decks that don't feel like they have anything but a bunch of big creatures that don't really help you much. You know, that, that's what it seems to be. But, you know, maybe not. I mean, I I, I think, you know, Brobnar Shadows would be neat going out. Um, 
and then you could, you know, dump some of the steel cards. To uh, Mars? Or to a new house? Again? I, I mean, I would like to see a new house, personally, but, you know, that's just... I think they've gotten better reception seeing a new house with Worlds Collide than just keeping things stale like they did a little bit with AOA. New keywords wasn't enough, you know. Um, no, what I'm seeing that you got to figure out, are they going to do it every set? They're going to slap in new houses, or are they going to do it every two sets? Are they going to bring back Sanctum, take somebody out? I don't I don't know. I don't see them bringing Sanctum and Mars back, um, both at the same time. I see them taking bringing Sanctum in just because of what we've seen on the... But I, I really think you're right. Probably Grobnar's going to go. And I think we're going to see a bunch, you know, more new keywords. I don't know. I, I, I really think they're trying to figure out a way to level the game out more. You know, it kind of leads us a little bit into what we've been talking about, into, you know, kind of the last thing we want to talk about during the main segment is how you guys experienced so far. Have you, have you done a bunch of CODA versus AOA versus Worlds Collide? Have you seen it? Have you played it? Our, our uh, prime last weekend, which I imagine we're going to talk about a little bit more, of course, was one deck of each. And it was very interesting to see how things turned out. I mean, I've never had a fantastic... I came in kind of at AOA time is when I started playing the game. And, of course, I've had to go back and get Coda decks um, if I wanted to play in any really competitive Archon event. Because Coda dominated AOA. And now that Worlds Collide's there, I have crashed a bunch of times against Coda decks. We've, you know, we played a lot just to see who's stronger. And there's still, it's really funny because I think if you look at both decks, you can try to, if you know what Coda deck you're going to be playing, you can find a Worlds Collide deck to deal with it. You know, I played Worlds Collide in the Prime last week mostly because my other two decks were really, really bad. And I played against Coda almost all day long. Did play a little bit against AOA, I guess. Um, in fact, I know Wookie mentioned it on Archon's Corner um, on their episode this week. You know, that we played, I think it was round three. Um, you know, and he was playing a Proclamation Grunt Buggy deck that uh, didn't go very well. I mean, he bypassed a Time Traveler uh, Horseman deck. Uh, to play that, and I'm like, you did what? <laughs> like, he didn't feel like it had enough amber control. And I'm like, I looked at him like, okay, like I don't know, man. Like that has to have no amber control for me not to play it, because I mean that just is gonna run really, really well against most things that you see. Yeah, well, I mean that's kind of Keyforge in in a nutshell, right? <laughs> you know, matchup and and decision making, or or hand or draw. Sorry, matchup and draw, right? I mean, uh, there are certain things that you can possibly do within your control, decision-making-wise, that you can do with the deck. But ultimately, really what it's going to come down to is a draw and uh, what what are you facing? Because because Keyforge is the way it is, you don't get to build your deck, so you can't build for the meta. Um, And and so you're going to have... Uh, you may have a good matchup against what is considered a meta deck, and then there may be, but but you know you you don't have a good matchups against anybody else. So you know what do you do in those situations? And um, I think for me, uh, what I've experienced playing locally and 
also what I've experienced playing through Crucible Online is that Worlds Collide versus Coda, I think, is probably what the, the greatest debate is. And, I, and I've seen, I don't know, I've, I feel like I've, I've seen this question a lot lately on Reddit, on Facebook, you know, Coda versus Worlds Collide, which set is better? And I think my honest opinion is that you can have, I, I think they're pretty even as far as power levels go. It's going to be a, I think you could play a top Coda deck against a top Worlds Collide deck, and it's going to be a 50-50 split. Or very, very close to that, maybe 60-40. But it's going to be really close to a 50-50 split between the two sets. Um, and it just really depends on, okay, I have a Coda deck that is old. Am I playing a Worlds Collide deck that is ultra controlly Amber with a you know good Saurian house or a good Dis house that can really control Amber? And so um, those are the kinds of matchup things. I think if you take if you were to take just kind of normal level decks from or average decks from both sets, um, or even even AOA, um, I we we have locally a, a league that we run with what we we've called the Average Archon League. We run twice a month. We run events for that where people just come and play and build points, and we're going to do an end of season tournament, but now that we have worlds collide in with these average decks, I feel like, you know, we've, we've had a little bit of AOA. We've had a little bit of Coda. We've had a little bit of worlds collide. And it seems to be in that middle range, there's really a good spread of, you know, which deck wins and that there's really no dominating set in those middle tiers. Um, And at the higher tiers, I think is where you start to see, uh, maybe a little bit of separation, uh, but it's, it's still, I think, going to be really close. Um, which which set would win out? Uh, and and so I feel like if I'm struggling to play a deck, or I've I've run into it a couple times where I'm playing the the not right deck on on TCO. You know, it doesn't have a lot of amber control, um, but it's more of a little little more of Amber Rush in Worlds Collide versus a Rush Coda deck, I lose almost, I I, have, I lose like 8 out of 10 matches, I may win twice uh, it, because Coda can just generate Amber so fast uh, but it's, but if I switch to one of my, one of my more controlly decks with Dis and Saurian in it, then I really don't have a problem especially if I've got Infernus and I can just purge all of those those amber generating cards, I really don't have a problem with with the the code of the Dakota rush deck. So it just again, I think you nailed it, Neil. That it's all matchup and draw at 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 the upper tiers. Now there is some. I don't want to say that player skill doesn't come into to play here because you still have to make those micro decisions about what you play. Um, and those will affect the course of a game, but you know, two two evenly strong decks, I think, are going to be a fifty fifty split most of the time. And by what I've seen, and I've bought a lot of Coda decks because, like I said, that was when I first came in. And Coda seems to be very dominant, but I think we're kind of a like Justin said, it's kind of a fifty fifty. It's a lot about the draw. I mean, me and you have played, and and we've played decks against each other that. I win one time and you win the next time. And it's all about, okay, you got the right draws. 
my deck should have dominated or your deck should have dominated, and you didn't get the right draws at the right time. Okay, welcome back. We're going to wrap this up as we always do with our local segment. As we are going to fire off here with uh, Justin, what did you have going on in Albuquerque in the last week? Uh, so the past two weeks, because of the holidays, we were running league play, which I had mentioned earlier. Uh, this weekend we're doing a sealed event. Uh, we've got, uh, your son in town, so I'm excited to, uh, to be able to play with him in, in, a uh, more casual type of, of tournament. Uh, up to this point, it's only been vault tours. So, um, it'll be nice to, to do something a little more casual and I, I I guess the hope is is that he can convince your other son to uh, to come uh, out. So uh, that would be nice. But uh, yeah, we're just running the sealed event this week. Yeah, it sounds like as far as I know, I think Jason's going. So all right, well, that know. that's exciting. Go uh, go get beat by Chris because <laughs> he pulls ridiculous things. <laughs> the guy is a devil in sealed too. Like he can just kind of look at a deck and figure it out and. I think that kind of probably walks us right into the segment I know we wanted to talk about a little bit. But uh, Nick and myself, Sean and Kevin all went to the Prime in uh, Niles, Illinois last week. I know it was a it was a decent amount of people though. Um, I think it was right up there with about the tie for the biggest one I've been to with the with the one in Louisville. So I know at the end of the day we uh, we put uh, two people through uh, to the top eight. Uh, myself and Kevin, and um, and then I ended up taking down the event. Wait a minute. I finished ninth by .01. <laughs> yeah, you were just out of the, the, the top eight. That, that's two primes up in that area in, in a row where we put somebody in the ninth. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a very interesting event. I, you know, uh, but the name of the deck is Zero, Tinker of the Triangular Fortress. And I'll tell you to start off, you know, Nick, you can jump in and talk about yours here in a minute. But when I opened my three decks, I was sitting next to Kevin and I opened my three decks. I just kind of looked through them real quick. Um, my coded deck was horrible. I think it ended up being a 55 SAS when I when I plugged it in. Um, it was absolutely terrible. I think it had like six or seven Amber Pips. Um, no shadows, no logos. I mean, it was bad. Um, untamed, but no hunting witch, no witch of the eye, no dust pixies. I mean, it was bad. My AOA deck wasn't a whole lot better. I think it was like a 60. It wasn't very good either. And then I, I looked at this deck and I'm like, well, it's got triple medic Ingram. It's got a couple of Tau Tau's. It doesn't have ED. Um, I, I wasn't particularly fond of the shadows in it with no too much to protect, you know, no, no big, uh, you know, swingy plays in shadows or anything. It's not like I had three Kaimors and multiple Ronnies or something. It, I just looked at it and I'm like, okay, well, I can't play the other two, so I'm playing this deck. And then, of course, I'm sitting there next to Kevin, and Kevin pulled three, like, Vault Tour decks. And I'm looking at his decks. He's like, I don't know which one to pick. And I'm like, well, no one would because they're all three great. And uh, he ended up picking uh, an AOA deck um, with, a disgusting multiple natures calls. You know, I mean, it, it was just, I think he had, had what, disc with a couple of exhumes. Oh, yeah. It and was just it was out of all the way. Like, it was gross. I mean, you were just looking at him like, I wish I pulled something like that. I have uh, to admit, that, that right there made it worth the trip. Watching Neil look at Kevin's decks and go, really? 
I know. I was like, seriously? <laughs> like, this is what you pull? Like, no wonder you can't make up your mind. I mean, he had Saurian, Star Alliance, uh, Untamed, with, like, Key Charge, and good Saurian stuff, and he had Coda deck that was, um, was this Shadows Logos, and you were just like, seriously, like, you, could you just go here? These are the decks I want. Please find them for me, um, is the way it felt, so... Um, and you know, Kevin did really well. Nick, I, you know, I don't know what you pulled uh, along the way there. My two, my coda deck was kind of, yeah, it was, a, it was untamed Brobnar Shadows, but the Shadows wasn't really great. The AOA deck was, it was untamed Mars in Sanctum, I think. And the Mars, Mars Suite was really bad. I ended up, I played my World's Collide deck. It, it had triple Flanic Strike. It had, Oh man, I can't even hold on. I just had it up. What she said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't. I'm a single guy, remember? And uh, but it was it was a pretty good deck, and I did really well. I I made a few play mistakes. You know, trying to learn how to play the deck was what kind of got to me. I think it ended up being a seventy-two. You know, it had Bornet. It had double Buzzle, which worked i mean buzzle did some work oh it, had, it was disorient untamed it had the uh city state interest which in my opinion is probably one of the best cards in sorian to turn a game around i used it uh, quite a few times and just devastated my opponent with it you know i went three and two and like i said i missed out just by a hair but the double flannic strike did some serious damage um the other one i had was city gates but i really didn't have a good number of creatures to use i had you know double perfectus ludo but i only had i think four creatures in saurian so it kind of hurt i really didn't have a lot of creatures to put stuff on so i was always kind of looking i had a pterodactyl i was always looking for it but it just never it never came out at the right time when i had city state or city gates and could use it to constantly steal amber from somebody yeah, um, you know and obviously I went with words collide you know round one i played brian i He's from the Chicago area, and I and I and I took him out fairly quickly. I still wasn't very impressed with my deck at that point. I hadn't really learned it, and I think that's going to be the thing I talk about most. And it's the only reason why I'm going into a little bit of more detail than we normally do in this segment is I was not impressed with this deck. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I even after I won, I was like, man, I think this deck is like a 65 or 67 tops. You know, and it's a 75, and I and I think I just learned that you know uh through the course of the day that just how this deck could play as we went in uh, round two i had to face uh dr sheep as a lot of people know him or dan smith he i mean it, i absolutely got stomped he drew in i killed his duma to get it because he had put dusk runner on it um so, or no silent dagger on it and i should have killed it the turn before and i didn't i, I killed it four and two i guess is what he said later four discs and two other he drew two cards. They were both discs. He had Life Ward out. He, he popped Life Ward. He hysteriaed. He then played another Life Ward and played out Snudge, Succubus, Ember Imp, Schuler, and I had four, so he stole one. Um, and I literally just kind of stared at the board going, what am I supposed to do? I didn't have either Red Alert. You know, I didn't have any of the stuff like Twin Bolt, you know, that could, or Oubliette that could get that Ember Imp off the board. So I pretty much got locked up. Couldn't couldn't play creatures even if I wanted to, and uh, you know then when I started to be able to play creatures, 
he would just nudge things back, you know, and that kind of stuff. It was uh, next round drew Wookie, and I started really, really hot with multiple medic Ingrams early into Psy Officer Lang and Frayne, and you know, and I had this this kind of groove going that was that that felt pretty good, and um, ended up pulling that that out. And of course, Wookie's deck with you know the proclamation and Grum Buggy forced it into overtime, but um, won that one. Um, then I had to play Nick next. You know, I knew Nick had a decent Saurian lineup because we we showed each other our decks before we started getting advice. Um, I didn't remember much. I did remember the one thing that he mentioned earlier. The only thing I could really remember about his deck is I'm like, he has triple of something in Saurian. And about the time that we started actual play after Mulligans and stuff, I remembered, oh, it's Phalanx Strike. That's what it is because it's, you know, sealed format. You don't get to look at the list. I it didn't cause me to play around it. Um, you know, I just drew my medic Ingrams. It was a back and forth match, and I managed to pull that out. You know, which put me to three and one. Then I had to play Kevin, so I'd play teammates back to back rounds. And Kevin's deck I knew was ugly. I knew there was double nature's call, and he took me to the woodshed a little bit. Um, he got those nature's calls early, before Ingrams could get out and start warding a bunch of stuff. Um, and he just kept bouncing things back to my hand, had enough creatures to take wards off and bounce, you know, so it still was fairly close and, and I, and I, but I did lose to him and I ended up, you know, he, he was four and one, um, Dan or, you know, Dr. Sheep finished five and oh, so I knew my tiebreakers were going to be really good at three and two because, you know, nine and one combined records of my losses. So, you know, I went and, uh, I finished sixth or the top three and two. Six has to play the three seed, and the three seed was Kevin. Um, so I had to play him immediately in the top eight to make a, you know, this is getting a little lengthy, but um, to, to to wrap up this round was pretty simple. His nature's calls were in the last third of his deck. He barely even got to one of them um, by the time the game was over. My deck ran about as perfect, and I, I'll tell you what I started to figure out is just mulligan for as many medic ingrams as I can find. Because if I got Medic Ingram out early, it, it definitely caused all kinds of havoc uh, for my opponent. And in the next round in the top four, it got even worse for uh, a guy named Don. He was a nice guy. We had played in Swiss in the, the previous prime that I was in the Chicago area a few weeks before. And he had run me over pretty hard in that match. And it, it was kind of a turnabout uh, revenge match, I guess, because... The game was never close. I drew all three Medic Ingrams by the time turn two was done. They were all out on the board. And Information Officer was on the board and already warded. Um, and it just got crazy from there. Um, it just, you know, I drew into a whole bunch of logos. And then I could play Shadows to control his. He was playing Coda. Um, playing Coda with the whole bunch. had a triple champion Anaphiel. And he would put them out. And I would, you know, I had, you know, Kaimori Clips waiting for him. Um, you know, or spike trap special delivery. I had some combos. He did, he did throw me a big uh, row bump. If you, I think Nick, you were, you may have been watching at that point. Whenever he had that shadow self sitting next to the gray monk, um, yeah, that that threw me for a loop for a hard minute trying to figure out how I could get back control of the board. The only thing bad about his deck is I definitely saw it once I looked at the list after the game was over. I mean, he just basically had no amber. His only way to make amber was control the board and reap and. Um, I had just enough stuff in this deck between the red alerts and 
special delivery, spike track, oubliette, twin bolts. Group Think Tank did some huge work in that game to clear the board, uh, you know, with their, him putting Sanctum Creatures all next to each other. So, which uh, earned me the finals uh, to go up against uh, Dr. Sheep, who had not lost, was 7-0. and And he did not draw like he did the first time around. That helped, uh, not having to face all that diss stuff early. And Medic Ingram's got out there. He had a pretty good answer for it, if I remember early. And then I had he had a big diss turn where he had popped life forward. He had done his Asteria thing again and played four. This time, I think Ember Imp was not a part of it, but Succubus was. But I, I was holding red alert. Um, he had five creatures on the board. Um, none of them over five strength. I had nobody on board. And it was just the wrong play at the wrong time. And uh, I had red alert to answer it, clear the board, and go from there. And uh, I think that's super, super close match again um, at the very end. But I managed to pull it out and take the prime down. But the thing was, you know, just learning that this deck, I, I still didn't believe at the end of it that it was as good as it is score-wise on uh, the decks of Keyforge. But I guess it can be a little deceiving, and you got to play it. Because the weirdest thing about the deck, if you look it up, 13 creatures, but I controlled the board virtually every game once I kind of learned how to play the deck. When I played you, the you warding everything basically made my Flanic Strikes useless because all I was doing was popping ward. And that was one thing I learned. And I then I learned that I needed to get, I should have got those off the board a lot sooner. If I play anybody and they put one out, it's dying. It's, quick. it's like a witch. It's got to go. Yep. And that makes a big difference. I mean, the key is learning the deck is huge. We talk about it all the time. Play, you know, these guys that are, there's guys on the Crucible. And, and Justin, you were just talking about it earlier when we were just chatting before we were on the cast about, you know, you play on the Crucible, they play these decks over and over and over again, and you get to know them better. I mean, my good Coda deck, honestly, I think it's now it's been dropped to like a, a 68 SAS. But I've got, I don't know, I think 11 chains or 9 chains, 10 chains on it, and it's got a great record, but I've played it probably 125 times. So once you learn your deck, it makes a huge difference in the way the deck plays. You know, like you said, Neil, you mulligan for those Matic Ingrams, so you learn what you need to mulligan for, you learn what you need to look for and what to draw for, you learn what... If it's in your hand, you can dump it right now and move on to new cards that you're looking for. And in a sealed environment, you have to do that quickly. You have yeah. to figure. You have to figure out. Uh, I mean, you can look at. I think most of us can look at a deck and say, "Okay, I I feel like this is what it's gonna or what it should do or what it could do." And then you get in and you start drawing the actual cards, and you're not drawing in the order that you necessarily need them in, which which happens all of the time. I should say all the time. It happens a lot uh, where, you know, you, you see something and you're like, okay, this is a really cool combo, but it's like, you know, two or three cards. Am I going to get that? And so you have to not only have in sealed, you have to have the ability to evaluate a deck um, for the most part, uh, but you also have to figure out really quickly how you're going to play that over time. The more and more you play it, the more and more you're going to figure it out. So you just kind of add a piece to it. I think for me, the way that I, when I play sealed, I'll add a piece to what I learn about the deck in each round. As I mean, I've had several times where I'm playing a deck and I'm like, oh, 
hey, this combo that I hadn't necessarily seen initially. I mean, yeah, in Sealed, um, you kind of have to figure that out a little bit sooner than if you were to just go on and play it and play it and play it. We're going to wrap it up for the night. Um, You know I can't leave without mentioning that Oklahoma plays tomorrow night in the Big 12 championship game. And as soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I'm going to go root on – I hate even saying these words out of my mouth. Um, I'm going to root for the Oregon Ducks tonight. So (laughs) Uh, Is that because you need uh, Utah to lose, right? It it would be nice. I, I still think it's ridiculous. If Utah playing nobody except for this game tonight in the top 25 would go on um, to represent uh, in the playoff, uh, considering they haven't played anybody. Um, But, you know, it's whatever. I mean, we'll see what happens. And uh, hopefully we just uh, have Oregon lose. We have Georgia get beat and we can uh, take care of Baylor and do our thing. We'll see. That's uh, Boomer Sooner talk for the the week. Uh, (laughs) And... uh, uh, is oh. there a prime going on in uh, Indy this weekend? Uh, no, the, the prime in Indy is Leap Day of next year. It is February 29th, uh, much to the chagrin of Justice Blinded. Um, it, uh, I am 99% sure it will be – actually, I'm pretty much 100% sure it will be sealed triad. I know that's not what he necessarily wants to hear. Um, but I think, you know, with us not having a sealed triad anywhere near us, we had some hopes – that there might have been one in the Chicago area, but they have now switched to three decks choose one uh, for the, I think it's in maybe January. Um, so since they've changed, there's not a sealed triad near here. And, and I, I know a lot of people around here want to experience the format as much as, as other people may hate the format. I at least want to make that decision for myself. We didn't go to the grand championship, uh, you know, in, in DC, like, like he did and didn't experience the pain there, but we'll experience the pain for ourselves. Um, but there is prime in the Dayton area, I think, this weekend. We've got our store championship this weekend, one of the local stores here. So you do uh, the destination, right? Yeah, destination. It's uh, uh, two deck sealed. Quick, let's wrap this up. Where to reach us? Um, all the the major players, as far as I know, iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcast, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast. You can still email us at thekeychargers at gmail.com, and I will do my darndest to stay as active as I can on Twitter. Um, we are at the underscore keychargers. Uh, come and find us. Follow us on Twitter. Um, I definitely um, will release an episode. It's on there, and I know I've been throwing some pictures on there here and there of uh, some of the different events. Okay, everybody, we will uh, catch you next time. Later. Thanks. Bye. See you later. Keychargers rock. <laughs>